0: Our friend Scott Erickson has been teaching us this month, and in last week's teaching, Scott talked a little bit about assumptions. And we have assumptions around the Christmas story, and some of them are more myth than true. And we have assumptions around the spiritual life. And as he talked about that and illuminated some of those assumptions and some of the problems they can cause, another word came to mind for me, and it's the last move that we're gonna make this year before we get to Christmas. And the word that came to mind for me is expectations. Uh, Assumptions and expectations, they overlap a little bit, don't they? And especially during Advent, which is a season where expectations are central, whether it's real-life, everyday expectations of the the world that you're living in right now or whether it's theological hopes and expectations for God, this is a season about expectations. But the thing about expectations is the, the right kinds of expectations can help us remain vigilant for God's presence, but the wrong kinds of expectations can actually impede our awareness And just like last week, Scott said that surprises are the antidote to assumptions. I think surprises might also be the antidote to expectations, especially if we have the wrong kinds of expectations as we remain vigilant for God. And so uh, there's a couple of surprises in the Christmas text uh, from Matthew's gospel that I wanna look at today, because I think they have a lot to do with what we expect and what, what we are looking for as we keep our eyes on the horizon and we look for the presence of God as we move toward Christmas. So let's look at Matthew. This is Matthew's telling of the Christmas story, and this is chapter one. And I'm in the part of the story here in verse 21 where an angel has come to Joseph to explain what's happening with Mary and God conceiving this child in her. And the angel says to Joseph that Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now before I go any further, let me just observe something here. The angel says you're gonna give him the name Jesus, which by the way is a Greek Hellenized version of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which literally means the Lord saves. So you're gonna give him the name the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. I just wanna observe, if you were the angel or I was the angel, and like we were the ones making this proclamation, and if we took a lot of the operative theologies, a lot of the things that had been preached in our world in this era, and we used that theology to shape this message, I don't know that we would say Jesus will save his people from their sins. I think if we actually applied a lot of what we've centered on, especially in the modern era, it might go something more like this. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their guilt. Like in the courtroom. Like that the that the biggest problem we have is, is a guilt problem, a, a courtroom problem and he's gonna get you off from that problem. Or, and he will save his people from afterlife consequences for the decisions that they've made, for the sins they've had in the world right now. Like, I think if you and I imported the theology that a lot of us have downloaded over the years and we we brought it into this text, we would say something like that. But the text says he will save his people from their sins, which in a lot of ways is even more beautiful and hopeful to me than some of those other things I just described. And by the way, I'm I'm not saying everything I just described is wrong or bad. I'm just observing that this text, when it tells us what to expect from Jesus, it says he will save his people from their sins. As if to say, if you're expecting God to show up and do something, if you wanna be vigilant for God in the world, well, then you might keep your eyes open and look for anywhere that anyone is being liberated. You might keep your eyes open and look for anyone, anywhere who is being healed. You you might keep your eyes open and look for anywhere that justice is being enacted and wrong things are being made right. Because all these ways that I'm talking about sin are deeply biblical ways that the Bible talks about sin and the need to be delivered from it or healed from it. Or the fact that sin isn't just a personal thing, but it's also a systemic thing. That it's the individual choices that individual people make and It's a way of describing the world that we build when the world that we build is unjust. And so the angel says uh, that this Jesus is gonna save his people from their sins. And if we expect God to do that, we might uh, keep a lookout for the ways that that's happening in the world. And that's really beautiful, right? Now, as I talk about it like that, what what happens is uh, Jesus might start to sound like a solution, right, like he's gonna fix all the sin problems. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's quite wrong, but this thing happens when we start just like looking for solutions. And the text is something else with another name for it, for this baby that's going to be born, that suggests that there's another move before we get to solutions. So, right after the sentence that I just read, the next thing that we read uh, is that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I can't help but wonder if some of us have been looking for God and trying to be expectant for the presence of God, but we are demanding some like efficient solutions. And maybe this text is saying that before you expect solutions, you should expect solidarity, like God with us, even before things are fixed. God with us, even before everything gets put back together, God with us. Now, if you're struggling with something that's broken, something that needs fixed, if you need a solution in your life, and I say, good news, we don't get solutions promised, but we get solidarity, maybe that sounds kind of flimsy or theoretical, and it would to me too, except if you've heard me tell my story before, you know that there was a really profound and deep moment of healing in my life, when after a long season of suffering with some childhood trauma and mental health, Uh, the thing that really uh, turned things around for me was the surprise, the discovery, uh, a prayer that I had been praying for a very long time about God's failures in my life and God's um, not living up to what I expected or wanted from God, that the prayer that I'd been praying was in fact the, the very prayer that Jesus prays on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment in my life, a knowledge of the solidarity of God with us came rushing into my heart, and um, real healing came from that. And so if you're like on the hunt for God and you're wondering what we can expect from God, I think we, we could look for solidarity, for a growing awareness of God's presence with us, even when things aren't put back together yet. Now, um, this Advent season perhaps you'll wanna let that be the way that you pray in the next few days before Christmas comes. Like like prayer can be a place of heavy expectation and when we ask for solutions. But what if in in the few days that we have left before Christmas, what if prayer or reflection or meditation became simply trying to pay attention to the presence of God? And what if as you carved out a little bit of time in your day to try to pay attention to the presence of God? What if you didn't bring with that any major expectations about something changing or a solution to a problem? What if you didn't bring expectations for what you're gonna feel as you search out for the presence of God? What if you simply set your intention to become present to the presence of God and surrendered everything else? I mean, that that might be a way to pray in line with the expectations that this Christmas story seems to set up for us. Now, um, there's also the case that our behavior might start to shift a little bit if we major on this story of God who comes, but before everything gets fixed, this God is with us. That uh, the, the story centers perhaps more on solidarity than solutions, at least at this step in the journey. Like our behavior might change a little bit too. I mean, if 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 God's response to all that's broken is to start with solidarity, then perhaps ours could be as well, right? I mean, there is the um the very like a typical uh, moment for married couples that I hear about all the time, where one partner comes home and describes a problem at work, and it's really frustrating and emotionally draining. And the other partner like rushes to propose solutions to that problem. And any of you have been in a situation like that, you know that that probably wasn't the right thing, right? That in bringing the problem to the table and laying things bare that Perhaps the person was simply saying, can you sit with me in this for a moment? And uh, perhaps a lot of our like neighbors are waiting for us to just show up with them, to be present with them in the needs that they're facing, even if we can't fix them or bring solutions to them right now. Like maybe that's how we show up for one another in the way that God shows up for us. But this goes further because sometimes uh, w- when we feel like we cannot endure the things that are broken, the ways that we try to fix things can end up causing more damage. This is true on the personal level and on the big systemic level, that that often some of the things that we try to do to fix things that are broken end up causing more problems. Sometimes we get violent in response to violence because um, we we are so desperate for an efficient solution and we think that that's gonna be the thing that fixes it. Uh, There's a, a writer, an anthropologist named Ernest Becker. And he has this this quote that's been ringing in my ears ever since I first read it. And he says, men often cause evil precisely because they want to heroically triumph over it. Men cause evil by wanting heroically to triumph over it. And sometimes we are so desperate for efficient solutions that we skip right over the power of solidarity. And in this story, this God arrives and to save us from our sins, the first thing this God does is sit with us in these flesh and blood bodies in these actual lived lives and express a divine kind of solidarity. And maybe um, that's what we're looking for this Christmas. Not um, that everything's gonna get fixed and that a bow is gonna be put on the world at large, but that I, again this year, we are being invited to be vigilant for the presence of God with us, especially in the hard and difficult things that we are facing. So, um, so that's kind of my final word, church, for us before we get to Christmas Eve. And uh, I hope that you're looking forward to the film that we're going to share with you and the kits that we're sending you so that you can have that experience in your homes. Uh, I know this isn't the Christmas we wanted, and we're going to say more about that uh, on Christmas Eve and that film. And yet this year, perhaps more than any other, we are being invited to know the God who is interested in saving us from our sins and delivering us and leading us out of the brokenness and the dysfunction and into healing, but this God's first move in doing so is to sit with us in these actual lives that we are living in divine solidarity. So uh, this Advent, this Christmas, may you rejoice in knowing Jesus who has come and knowing that in Jesus, God has come to save us from our sins. May you uh, surrender that desperate desire for efficient solutions and may you revel in divine solidarity. May we show up for one another in the ways that God has shown up for us, and may grace and peace be with you.